This episode is brought to you by Forney Industries, official sponsor of Faction 46 and Nice Motorsports Truck Series teams. Forney offers versatile welding and plasma cutting machines, along with a full line of metalworking accessories for beginners, do-it-yourselfers, and professionals. Forney has everything you need for your next metalworking project. Shop for these top-of-the-line products at ForneyIND.com, that's F-O-R-N-E-Y-I-N-D.com, or at an authorized Forney dealer near you. Hey y'all, Rick Houston here, and I want to tell you about my new show, the Moonshine and Motorsports Racing Podcast. I've partnered up with the state of North Carolina Department of Natural and Cultural Resources to help uncover the history behind moonshining mountain boys, professional wheelmen, and the backwoods and city lights of the Tar Heel State. In the first episode, I sat down with Winston Kelly at the NASCAR Hall of Fame for a little behind-the-scenes gossip about Junior Johnson's engineering skills. He's got two things in his hand, pipe wrench and channel lock pliers, and they weren't new. They had been been around the block a time or two. What's the first deal they built, I bet? No, no. I think the the pliers had been red before, but paint had worn off. And in the second episode, I talked to a professional hillbilly, a.k.a. Dr. Daniel Pierce of UNC Asheville, to find out the real history of moonshiners and their battles with the revenuers. He wrote about one of his experience of trying to chase down this uh, this bootlegger and this this souped up car, and he he complained that the government gave him these piece of crap, cheapo cars, and that, that were really no match. But he thought he was doing pretty good, and then the guy just hits it and just takes off and practically disappears. But then the guy makes a bootleg turn uh, and comes back towards him. And as he said, it was a game of chicken, and I was a chicken. And so he ran off the road. And actually, he was the guy who who caught Junior Johnson at his daddy's steal when Junior got tangled up in a a barbed wire fence. So check out the Moonshine and Motorsports Racing Podcast, available on YouTube, DailyDownForce.com, and all of your favorite podcasting platforms. And be sure to check out my regular show on NASCAR history, the Scene Vault Podcast. Hey there, NASCAR fans. Have you got your copy of the latest edition of NASCAR Pole Position Print Magazine? If not, there's no better time than now to subscribe at PolePositionMag.com. NASCAR Pole Position is the only print magazine covering NASCAR. Officially licensed by NASCAR, NASCAR Pole Position Magazine is published throughout the NASCAR season, and each edition is an instant collector's item packed with great feature stories and photography. The magazine is even mailed to you in a poly bag for those who love to collect NASCAR memorabilia. At PolePositionMag.com, you can even find past issues available to purchase. Get your subscription to NASCAR Pole Position and get great NASCAR content delivered straight to your mailbox throughout the season. Learn more at PolePositionMag.com. That's PolePositionMag.com. Hello, my name is Rick Houston, and welcome to the Scene Vault Podcast, your source for all things NASCAR history. Presented by Las Vegas Motor Speedway, America's racing showplace. By the time he gets out of the car, here comes Pearson, and he says, don't you ever point that finger at me. I'll break it off and stick it blank, 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 or whatever. That moment 
destroyed my career. That was the end of Kenny Wallace. Chief looked at him and said, you can take that damn thing to Alaska and it ain't going to go up. <laughs> <laughs> and he just walked out. The day NASCAR and all of us associated in any way with NASCAR forget its past, that's the day we don't have any future. Hello, everyone. I'm Steve Wade. And my name is Rick Houston, and welcome to the Scene Vault Podcast, presented by Las Vegas Motor Speedway, America's racing showplace, and a track that really does care about NASCAR history. And Steve, before we start this week, I feel like we need to mention the passing of Nancy Wood, who was the wife of Lynn Wood. That came as a shock to me. Winston Kelly tweeted it out. Steve, I just can't imagine. I just well, cannot imagine. It came as a shock to me too, Rick. I had heard something about Nancy's cancer well, a very long time ago, and I really thought that it had passed, that somehow she had beaten it because she was always very up and, and very positive in all of her posts and tweets. I didn't think anything about it. And then, of course, to hear the news was very shocking. Nancy was quite the lady. She was devoted to her family. And the family's racing, no doubt about it. A great supporter. So, Steve, a beautiful star. I made I knew it. We were gonna, I, <laughs> I, I knew we were going to get around to this. <laughs> <laughs> I did it. The last performance was yesterday. And, Steve, I got to be honest with you. I'm still in shock. <laughs> you, you talk about a whirlwind from not knowing anything about being in the play to being all of a sudden voluntold to do it. <laughs> <laughs> So trying to learn my lines and sticking cheat notes literally all over the stage. And then that first performance, that was the strangest sensation of excitement and sheer terror <laughs> that I think I've ever experienced in my life. <laughs> you know, I can just imagine, Rick, I have a pretty good idea of how you felt because uh, while I was in school, I did uh, several plays. And I can assure you that every time I got up there to get started, man, oh, man. My knees were shaking, but once I got going, once I yeah. got going, yeah. it was all right. And the crowds were great. Thursday night, we had probably a hundred, 150 people there. Friday night was completely sold out. So there were 200 sets of eyes on me <laughs> <laughs> when we got up there on stage. Well, you know, Steve, it did kind of go back to the conversation that we had with Kyle Petty in last week's episode, when he said he wasn't afraid to fail and he wasn't afraid to fall flat on his face. The fact of the matter was he wasn't going to leave behind any regrets. And right. so I kind of took that to heart and I texted Kyle and told him that I was going to be in the play and how he had impacted my decision to do it. I told him that it was all his fault <laughs> <laughs> and he texted me back and he said, just remember two things. It makes it easy. First, you'll be doing something with Adam and Jesse that only you will do, just you and them, a memory you and them will always have. Second, you'll have a story to tell. There's nothing better than a good story. Break a leg. After he said that, I looked at it with an entirely new perspective. I got to do this play with my boys and sharing something that they are so passionate about. I mean, well, this was, this might've been my first place, but it was. I bet you it was their 10th or 15th that they've ever done. Well, that was mighty good advice from Kyle. And how can you not take advice from a man who went out and rode a bull? <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> well, I can assure you, 
I will not be riding the bull ever. <laughs> Ditto. My, my bravery only extends so far. <laughs> Steve, this week, we are going to do something different for our last episode of the year. We had talked about sharing our best content of 2021 on this episode, but with the interviews that we've already done, I am as excited about the content that we're going to be able to provide next year in 2022, as I was about 2018, 19, 20, 21. And we already have interviews recorded in the can completed with Kenny Wallace, John Dotson, and Mike Beam. And this week we're going to share a short preview of each conversation. And they were all more than an hour and a half long. That's great stuff. And you know, I was with you when we interviewed Kenny <laughs> and with Kenny, all you have to do is ask a question, then sit back and listen for the next hour. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is going to be a very small taste of a much larger entree. So I'll just and, leave that hanging there. Okay. All right. And listen, you are going to enjoy this taste. This week, we do have new Patreon support from Joe Monfaletto, Kyle Petty's buddy. <laughs> so Joe, thank you so much for that support. I appreciate it. It helps us do this podcast. It helps us put it together. I appreciate it. I appreciate it so much. So listeners, if you can, please support us on Patreon, support us on PayPal. You can support us by dropping us a five-star rating and a written review on iTunes or Spreaker or Spotify or wherever you listen to our podcast at, that would help because the reviews help get our show noticed by other listeners, by potential listeners, and hopefully growing our audience. So if you could do that, I would appreciate it. If you can do Patreon, that address is patreon.com slash the same vault podcast. That's P A T R E O N.com slash the same vault podcast. Or if you would prefer to do a one-time show of support, you can do that via paypal.me slash the same vault podcast. And also just as a reminder, this show is not affiliated in any way with American city business journals owners of the same brand. This segment is brought to our listeners by Las Vegas motor speedway, America's racing show place. And Steve first up is Kenny Wallace. There is nothing like sitting down with Kenny for a conversation. Is there? You're going to do a lot of listening, but I'll tell you what else you're going to do. A lot of laughing. <laughs> well, Steve, that's just the thing about the talk that we had with him. As funny as he can be, here is what struck me about the clip that we're going to share here. He was involved in a crash at New Hampshire late in the 1991 season. And in this clip, he describes how it not only impacted his run for that year's Bush Series championship, but his career as a whole. The next time around in October, yep. you got into a really bad crash. See, and see, that, that is the story. Right. One of the stories in second to none that really stands right. out to me. So you see me doing this right now. So here's the deal. That moment is the epitome 
And that moment destroyed my career. That was the end of Kenny Wallace. Loud, New Hampshire, 1991. Going down the back straightaway. Left rear trailing arm broke a weld. Something broke. I go down into three. Now, mind you, let me remind you, all I got to do is just run in the top 10 in these races, and I'm going to be the champion. Yeah. Because I had like a 200-something point lead, or more than that. And all of a sudden, I'm spinning around backwards like this, and here's the wall, and my head comes out. My head comes out, and he hits it's kind of the C pillar of the race car. Like, so here's my head, and here's this thing here. I hit my I hit the window net and I hit my head. On the B post. On the they call it the B pillar, right? Yeah. Good job. And then uh if you hit to, if you'd hit the C post, you wouldn't be here. Yeah, I wasn't. <laughs> Thank you. A post, B post, C. I only went one through twelve, you know. <laughs> if you hit the C post, that would have been something. Yeah, B, B post. Yeah. That'd be a stretch. That'd be hey. <laughs> That'd be a stretch. Yeah. Uh, I like good comedy. Yeah. So stretch. My neck would have had to stretch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So anyway, the corner worker tells me, get out, sit down, Kenny. And that was it. I get out, I sit down, and uh, I know I, I felt like I was at home sleeping. And I hear I hear, Kenny, Kenny. I open my eyes up and I'm laying. I'm laying on the racetrack in turns three and four at Loud, New Hampshire. I was, I had what they call a positional vertigo where I'll just make it simple. It's what Dr. Petty explained to me. There's a gyro in all our heads and that gyro tells you when you're turning right up and my gyro was destroyed and I was throwing up everywhere. I couldn't race the next week. I could not run Rockingham. And I simply lost the championship, you know, because I was I wasn't in my right mind, and uh, and it was it was. Now listen, I come back to win a lot more after that. I came back in in the following years to win way more, but that moment, you know, is is the moment that just devastated me. I, I, I to this day I've never got over it, and and here's why, because I was the champion. I was going to win that championship. No, there was just nothing to it. I was going to win it, and uh, and back in those days, you know, you, you you kind of wanted a little little feather in your cap. You know what I mean? It, it uh, now I'm not saying I'm not saying that championship would have defined me, but it just knocked knocked me out. I mean, literally knocked me out. Yeah. And uh, and there's a lot of people, you know, and it could have been one of you all. For the next six months, they, you know, the rumor going, man, Kenny Wallace is not the same. And and I wasn't. But what was weird was the very next year, I won at Martinsville when Felix bought the team. But uh, but there there's no and I and I tell you what, here here's what a bummer it is. That was the year I should have moved my ass right back to St. Louis. Because from then on, it was just no fun for me down here. Horrible. I, I'm just going to ask the question. Was it physical or was it mental? Mental. Really? Yeah, mental. Okay. Yeah, mental because because I wanted it so bad. Uh, I wanted to do good so bad. And, you know, and there was a lot of things going on. How do I say it? You know, 
it was just seemed like, you know, everybody loved me. I was, you know, I had a lot of friends, but it was just, you know, it just, it just nothing. I mean, I had a lot of sponsors, but it was just, it was like everything got harder. Just everything got harder. It just didn't. And like I said, now I went on to drive for Filbert and we won three races that year and I was big time. I went back to cup and about won a cup race, you know, down at Rockingham and, but, but it was just the, to this moment, if, if if somebody said, if you need therapy, what would it be for? I'd say, well, it ain't about, but one thing, and that would have been that, that moment, that time. I have a question for you. What do you remember about the 1984 Firecracker 400 at Daytona? <laughs> Rick, what don't I remember? I'm telling you, so much. Well, of course, there was Richard Petty winning the race. There was Ronald Reagan giving the command to fire engine from Air Force One and then right. attending the finish of the race. There was that famous finish between Richard and Kale. And Steve, that wound up being the 200th and final race of Richard Petty's career. And there was the Secret Service searching all of us as we headed to the press box and that thrilling finish Kale and Richard made it to the caution flag and the white flag together. But coming back around, Kale forgot to cross <laughs> the start finish line. He went down pit road. Now, as a result of that, Harry Gant was moved up to second place. Now that is a bit of trivia that not everybody remembers from that race. Well, here's something else that not a lot of people remember about this race. There were fingers being given on the racetrack <laughs> <laughs> and then punches being thrown in the garage. And it wasn't between Kale and Richard. It was between none other than Tim Richmond and David Pierce. Now, Steve, who do you have in that battle? <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> David Pearson by a TKO. <laughs> It ain't going to be a technical knockout. It's going to be a flat out, straight out, knockout, out cold, whatever. <laughs> we have talked about that scuffle before, but only in the context of scenes coverage and the story that you wrote about it. John Dotson was there and he was literally right in the middle of it. John is the younger brother of Barry Dotson. And I didn't really know John before we sat down in his office at the NASCAR Technical Institute in Mooresville. But after two hours on the record and probably three altogether getting set up, tearing down, and then looking around his incredible office, it was like we were long-lost friends. And I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I'm going to say that this is probably one of the two or three best interviews that we have ever done for this podcast. Well, Rick, when you first told me that you were going to go interview John Dodson, I was a little bit skeptical because, yeah, I knew John and I knew that his older brother was Barry and he was involved in NASCAR, but I didn't think it was all that much. So I then kind of wondered what you were going to be able to find when you interviewed John Dodson. Well, guess what? <laughs> you found one heck of a lie, believe me. Steve, trust me. <laughs> trust me baby trust me <laughs> i'm i'm learning i'm learning 
Well, here is a taste of that conversation with John Dodson just to whet our listeners' appetite. One good story is at Daytona when Tim Brewer was a crew chief. It's the Firecracker 400. And Tim radios in and says David Pearson won't get out of the way. It's a Chattanooga car, and he was smoking. And Tim Brewer said, well, they've black flagged him. Don't pay any attention. It's five laps to go. And, you know, So Tim takes the information, Tim Richmond, well, they've black flagged him. He shouldn't be out here anyway. So he flips the bird to David Pearson. To David Pearson. An Indian. Yeah. You know. Yeah. David Pearson's got Indian blood in. <laughs> he flips the bird to David Pearson. You know, Tim really basically told him it wasn't true. I'm not saying Tim lied to him. Yeah. He basically, yeah. Tim was saying, don't pay any attention to him. Just finish the race. And no, Richmond's got a flip in the bird. So Richmond radios and says, hey, I think he's mad. <laughs> I think I think Pearson's mad. Maybe you better come down here. Well, Tim was a wimp. Tim Richmond. Richmond. Yeah. Tim Brewer was not. Tim <laughs> Tim Brewer will fry a brick wall. Yeah, he's 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 like me. He's, yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, Tim Brewer says, John, go get go get with Tim. Run. Well, I was sort of a hothead then. I got in fights at the Winston All Star Race. Yeah. I got bit. I got in fight at Wilkesboro. I was the scrapper. I'm the enforcer, you might say, back in those days. But I was hot-blooded. But, you know, it was a team sport, and you don't mess with my team. I run down pit road, and when Tim's coming off the track, he stops before going behind, and I get in the car. He's like, come on. You're joking. No, protect me from David Pierce. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm 19. I'm 20, 20 years old. So we got out of the car and said, ah, he's mad, and I'm riding in on the car. I've run 180 with Tim sitting in a floorboard at Daytona uh, on a test down there just to go out and see if the track was wet. So that's another story. Uh, that's the next story. So anyway, we drive into the garage, and we pull into the thing. and he's You can tell he's like, man, he's pissed. David Pearson, I hope you don't come over here. Well, by the time he gets out of the car, here comes Pearson. And I mean his nose-to-nose right here. And he says... I'm not going to cuss, and I'm going to say yeah, things yeah. he said, but basically, don't you ever point that finger at me. I'll break it off and stick it blank, 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 or whatever. And Pearson's this close to him. He just, he had enough, and uh, we're in the last stall. Here's the garage, here's the garage wall. The old garage is at Daytona. you you got a doorway to walk out of. And he basically just comes up and hits Tim like, just, boom. He just melts into that block wall, Richmond does. I mean, it's just one punch, and Pearson's just standing there like, you going to give me a finger again? You know, like this young kid. You're supposed kid. to be protecting him. One time. <laughs> and the other thing is, he needed it. <laughs> he needed that. Tim Richmond needed that. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. You don't come in here and disrespect these, you know, Hall of Famers like David Pearson. Yeah. And, he, he you know, it's just like – um Think about how Keselowski came into sport and everybody wrecked him. And, yeah. you know, different drivers. Yeah. Uh, you're going to earn your way in here. So I think Tim Richmond grew a lot at that right there. But he punched him against that wall, and then everybody grabbed Pearson. And Pearson's like, I'm done. I don't need to do any more. There he lays. You know? <laughs> and I'm like, man, I'm glad I never messed with David Pearson. <laughs> so I go back to with Tim. I get him up, you know. <laughs> 
we go back and he gets between the trucks. I quit. And he's throwing his gloves and goes up in the truck and I quit and I ain't driving anymore. And I'm like, you know, whatever. He's, he, he drove again, but I was there for it. But again, he needed that. And that was Richard Petty's 200th win that day. Yep. Yep. Wow. Yep. That's the day that uh, we saw Reagan. From the very beginning of this podcast, our motto has been that this show is where the sports past meets its present. And to me, that is not just a cute saying. It's not just a marketing slogan. It's not an advertising slogan. It's not just something that we say. We very deeply believe that, and we have proven it out more times than I could possibly count on this show. Now, the latest example of that taking place was a couple of weeks ago when GMS Racing bought into Richard Petty Motorsports. And afterward, it was announced that the organization is now going to be known as Petty GMS Motorsports. Now, here is the connection. Who was the president of GMS Racing and now Petty GMS Motorsports? That would be Mike Beam. Uh, well, I can <laughs> see where this is going. I okay. All right. Now, next question. Who served as Kyle Petty's crew chief beginning in 1981 and who was tuning the engines for both teams when Richard won at Charlotte in the fall of 1983? Now, I want you to think about this. <laughs> Mike is now the head of the team that bears Richard's name. I like that. Well, the fact of the matter is that Mike Beam and the Petty family have known and worked together for more than 40 years now. That's right. That's right. 40 years, Steve. That's crazy. Well, here is Mike Beam's story of the 1983 fall race at Charlotte Motor Speedway. And we all know the controversy that happened there. All right, so fall Charlotte, nineteen eighty three. Um, <laughs> what happened? Oh God! <laughs> so we had we had the that engine right, and Maurice and I knew it. I mean, we didn't have it at the track. Yeah. Yeah, we had two of them, and. So I called the shop. I said, dang, man, we're getting our ass handed to us here. And, you know, I said, I guess, I mean, we, we worked on the car. So luckily Pontiac and, you know, they gave us one ton of time and done the whole deal. And she so just come see me when you get back. And, we, I mean, you know, back in was there four days, right, three yeah. days. So, uh, yeah, I'm trying to fit. So... Anyway, so I I knew about the engines, you know. I knew, well, I knew we had two because we'd done it some, you know, with Kyle, and I knew how to pump them, and you know the whole deal. Uh, that goes back to what Chief taught me, right? So yeah, yeah. I was pretty good at, it. you know. So we put them in. Nobody knew. I mean, I pumped both engines, you know, did the whole deal. Um, never even thought about Richard winning a race. You know, we were, it's kind of wrong because, you know, back then, so 
you hit it on, you know, and you had the paddock. You remember where the paddock yeah. down there? So Chief and Roy Hill, they were down there drinking moonshine. <laughs> <laughs> so it was during the race there. I, and next thing I know, you know, somebody tapped me on the shoulder and they said, hey, Chief wants you over there. And I walked out. Hugh Roy was standing on the fence. Hey, you got any hats? Or yeah, it's like they were just you know. And so Chief said, "What are you going to do if Richard wins?" I go, "What do you mean? What am I going to do?" He said, "What are you going to do if Richard wins?" I go, "Oh God, okay." And I, now, were you in? Kyle, you were in Kyle's. I pick. was Kyle's. Crew okay, yeah, because yeah, Pollard. Yeah. And because Steve had gone to Terry's, I believe, in because yeah. it was Pollard and Wade, or might have been Larry and Robin, I think, because I had Kyle. Yeah. So, anyway, Richard won the race. They put those lefts on the rights. You know, I think that's what really got them mad, right? And, you know, so I uh, rolled up there. I said, dang. This ain't going to be good. <laughs> Holy crap, this ain't going to be good. So, Richard was up in the press box doing the race interview, and I was... <clears throat> they pumped it, and I, I forget who was... They said, hey, uh, yeah, something happened here, because I couldn't get... I couldn't get... The cylinder I needed to pump, they didn't pump. I, I was hoping, because I could get the thing in the hole to... The bar plug thing to... So, I said, shit, we're screwed here. Anyway, so, they said, well, let's cool it down. Yeah, we'll pull the head off. And I, oh, God. I said, now I know. I said, I told, I think, it might, I know Beatty was there. I don't know if Gasway's there. I forget. I said, I'll be back in a minute. So, it just so happened, Junior now, Daryl run second. This started the whole deal about you don't leave. Like they checked the first couple of cars, right? Yeah. So if the first one's illegal, they can. But anyway, so. And, the, and so they knew it was taking a while because it was dark. And, of course, there was Junior over a campaign. And, yeah, it's a bunch of boy. I mean, yeah, it's like <laughs> we lacked about years later. And yeah. I said, yeah, you load your crap up because I knew y'all were illegal. And he said, oh, yeah, but this couldn't do anything about it then. But he was campaigning. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, it's funny. So I went down the paddock and there was. Maurice and Roy and the whole clan down there drinking, and you know, Maurice just laughed. He said, "Man, you're so." I went, "What do you mean I am?" He said, "Yeah, what are you going to do now?" I go, "You need to come up here." He goes, "What am I going to do?" I said, "I don't know. You need to come up here." I said, "Cause I'm going to take the hit on this." I think he goes, "Ah, come, yeah, we we you know if you had that Mickey Mouse hat on the whole deal, it was funny. I mean, I was going to back him up. I mean, if I if I need to take the hit, I was going to do it. I didn't care. I now, mean, why were you going to take the hit if you were Kyle's crew chief? Well, just because the NASCAR knew I was the tuner. Okay, all right. Yeah. So you know, I'd pump yeah. both engines. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. So anyway, um, so chief come up here. Richard had made his way from the press box. They told him there had been a problem, right? He come down there in uh, Richard to what in the world's going on? And she says, Oh, it might be a problem here. You know, 
And so here was the chief. He was wide open in Beatty or I don't know whether it's Art Crab or who who was the motor guy measuring stuff. That sounds about right. You know, he said, need to need to just cool it off. And Chief looked at him and said, you can take that damn thing to Alaska and it ain't going to be cool. <laughs> and he just walked out. And Richard looked at him and said, what are you going to do now? I said, I'm screwed, dude. So anyway, I think they got more trouble with the lefts on the right. Yeah. You know, but I mean, everybody knows it's pretty much a comment. I mean, people, it's not like people didn't, you know, just, just didn't get caught. Kind of buckshot or whatever you call it but anyway yeah that was that was it that was the whole story then you know kind of went downhill after that for petty enterprises we have the interviews with kenny and john and mike already in the can and i'm actually headed out of town tomorrow to record at least a couple more conversations steve right now already before i even head out of town we have enough content to get us into march already that's incredible. And it's great content too, Rick. I like to work ahead and I don't want to get into a situation where we have our backs against the wall and we have to go out to do an interview and maybe it's not that great an interview and we have to post it anyway because we don't have anything else. I want to do my dead level best to make sure that when somebody listens to this show, the content is as good as it can possibly be. I agree with hundred percent, Rick. The content is what makes the scene ball, and we've got to have the best possible content we can come up with. And I think we're off to a great start for 2022. I'm trying, man. I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> and Steve, in all honesty and all seriousness, it is looking like 2022 is going to be our best year yet. This is Will Cronkrate. Hi, fans. I'm Travis Carter. Hello, I'm Phil Parsons. Hi, I'm Chris Hussey. Hi, I'm Lake Speed. You're listening to the Scene Vault Podcast. This podcast has been brought to our listeners by Las Vegas Motor Speedway, America's Racing Show Place. And Steve, 2021 has been a crazy year for a lot of different reasons. Our listeners are familiar with the situation with the deal to buy scene falling through and all that. And we've also had some stuff going on with my son from my first marriage. I've not seen him in a long time. And, and that's a, you know, that's a long story, but Steve, here's the thing, the support and the encouragement that we receive from our listeners words simply cannot express what it has all meant to me and not just on the professional level of producing this podcast on a weekly basis. The support has lifted me up personally more times than I could possibly count. And it has always come at just the right time. Well, Rick, I agree with you hundred percent. I think the support from the listeners has really, really been so helpful to us this year. And, you know, I always look forward to their comments about the show. And those are very interesting. And it goes beyond that, Rick. I've got a Christmas card sent to me yeah. by Jenny and John Cassell from Fort Wayne, Indiana. I have never met them, and I do not know them. But after this Christmas card, I'm looking forward to meeting them. They said, happy holidays. Thanks for the scene vault. 
Hope you have a very Merry Christmas. Steve, here's the cool thing about that. I got the same Christmas card from the same people. How about that? That's great. And that's just one more example of the support that we get. And it's very humbling. I don't say that to get a pat on the back or anything like that. To this day, even though we've been doing this podcast almost four years now, when you and I record this podcast on Monday mornings, it's sometimes hard to comprehend the range and the scope and the number of people around the country and yeah, even around the world yeah. that people are actually going to be listening. Yeah. I think it's, it's great, Rick. And uh, given all of that, I would like to wish all of our listeners a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Steve, the same goes for you. I hope you and Margaret and the rest of your family have a great Christmas and New Year's. We're going to be taking off a couple of weeks. <laughs> Although, as I mentioned, I'm going to be making good use of that time and recording at least a couple more interviews. You never know what else I might be able to come up with. Our next episode will drop on Wednesday, January 5th. And as we've mentioned, we're going to be hitting the ground running. And Steve, last year, we shared music from Adam and Jesse's group, Fourth Wall. And we just so happened to have that music still on file. So let's make this a Christmas tradition and close out our season finale with their rendition of the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel, that mourns and lonely The Son of God appeared. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. 
Come to thee, O oh, we.